Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am Doug Sweeney here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. And we have a friend and Samford colleague on the show with us today to help us continue to address racism and racial injustice in our society. Let me remind you about our virtual preview day taking place on August 13th. Due to COVID-19, we're hosting this event online. I myself will be participating. So if you or someone you know is discerning a call to ministry, we would love for you or them to join us. Preview day is free, and all who attend will have their application fees to Beeson waived, saving $35. So please register on our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Kristen, would you please introduce today's special guest and begin our conversation? Hello, everyone. Today we have Dr. Denise Gregory. She is the Assistant Provost for Diversity and Intercultural Initiatives at Sanford University as well as an Associate Professor of Chemistry. So we are so pleased to have you, Dr. Gregory. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you all for having me today. So glad to be here. I've just given basically one sentence telling our listeners uh, what role you play at Samford, but we would love for you to fill out the details. We want to get to know you better. Who are you? Where are you from? Anything that you want to say about yourself? Yes, thank you so much for that. So yes, I am... I don't know. I guess I just, I, when I think about myself, I'm like, wow, it's, there's so many things and adjectives that can describe me. But I'll just start really, really quickly. Um, I'm the daughter of Henry and Linda Jones. I'm from Columbus, Mississippi. Um, a lot of people know, and some people don't know, but I'm a triplet. So I have two other sisters that were born on the same day as me on April 1st. And for my parents, uh, they thought that this was a joke because uh, I, I was born in the early 70s. And I say that it was being a joke because my mom really did think that she was having twins for a good little while during her pregnancy, because at the time I um, wasn't able to uh, do as many sonograms during the time that we were born. And so uh, for a good while, she thought she was having twins, but the Lord blessed her with the three of us. And uh, we are all uh, female girls doing well. Um, my sisters, one of them is the uh, assistant principal at a Shelby County school here in, in the area. And the other one serves as the assistant superintendent in um, Jackson, Mississippi. So uh, my parents had three of us and didn't have any more after that. <laughs> Raised in um, public school system there in Mississippi. From there, went to Jackson State University. The three of us went there together. And my parents also as well are graduates of Jackson State. I fell in love with science early on in the seventh grade and chose chemistry as a major while I was there. I uh, left there, and good Lord blessed me to be able to go to Georgia Tech for graduate school. Um, went there for a degree in chemistry. So my PhD is in organic chemistry, and um, I've been using that degree to um, really try to increase the number of minorities that are in fields like uh, a STEM field like chemistry. Um, we know that that's an underrepresented group, so I have a passion for that. And so one of the things, the programs that I've started here at Sanford um, is the Minority Youth Science Academy. So that's a summer program that we run out of our office to um, for an overnight program for high school students, uh, 10th through 12th grade, to spend some time here to think about careers in STEM and also to increase the, that STEM uh, field with minorities involved with that. 
met my husband while I was there at Jackson State. He, he and I have been married for 19 years, um, and we are blessed with that union. And we also have um, one uh, daughter that came from our union. And then, of course, when I married my husband, I had a bonus son that came along with him that I also uh, greatly um, and love what he's doing also as well. He's a graduate of the Naval Academy and doing well with that. And then I have my 15-year-old who is uh, right now, we're trying to decide what she's going to do with school and work that all out. But uh, she's a blessing also to us as well. Um, I attend Sixth Avenue Baptist Church here in the city. I've been an active member there on the trustee board there for our church and also very involved in my Sunday school class. I'm very involved with our youth programs at our church because of my daughter's involvement also as well. Um, I work with Girl Scouts. I serve as a troop leader. I serve as one of the advisors of one of the sororities here on campus, Delta Sigma Theta, which I am also a member of. I'm an active member of Jack and Jill of America, which is also an organization of uh, mothers that are um, involved with educating and developing their children. So I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with a lot of things that I'm involved with, but I am grateful for the Lord to be able to allow me to be able to, to do those things and hopefully do them at a level that people uh, say that they're doing, being done well. So I'm grateful for the opportunities to have all that. A little bit about my role here. Yes, at Sanford, I have not always been in the uh, administrative role. It's been about the last six or seven years, um, but most of my time here has been developed for the 15 years in the Department of Chemistry, so I'm grateful for that. So I'll stop there and um, take more questions, and I hopefully that gave you a little bit about about me and some of the things that I, I'm involved with here. Yeah, that's wonderful. What a blessing to be a colleague of such a gifted, busy person. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank so, you. Dr. Gregory, you came to Stanford a long time ago, 2004, to be a chemistry professor. And then I think it was in 2013 when you were asked to play a strategic leadership role to become yeah. what was first called Director of Diversity and Intercultural Initiatives and what now is called Assistant Provost uh, of Diversity and Intercultural Initiatives. Could you tell our listeners just a little bit about that role in the Provost's office? Yes, thank you so much for that. So actually, it actually began a little bit before even the uh, director role. Uh, I, in my role as a chemistry professor and also being involved with serving as the advisor for, for one of the sororities on campus, the, the uh, position, the advisement position was for a sorority that is um, an African-American sorority. So in that role, I was doing a lot of um, mentoring, involvement, especially with uh, Black women on our campus, um, and kind of coaching them on, and kind of some indirect roles of, I guess, what I was kind of I'm doing now. And so uh, at the time, I also served on the Faculty Diversity Committee, and the faculty really, really wanted uh, a position, a diversity position um, in the Academic Affairs Office that would look at curriculum and also be an avid resource for students and their involvement there. And so at the time, I actually served on the uh, search committee for that position uh, that we were looking for uh, in that role. And at the time, that role was actually a merged role with diversity as well as with international studies. And so at the time, we th thought that that was uh, something that we probably should split the roles into two separate um, uh, units. And so when we did not find someone that kind of really fit both roles. We realized maybe this might be a, where we might want to separate and make a separate position for that. And so at the time, Brad Creed was the provost at the time, and he came to me and said, Denise, we're rethinking we about how we want to structure this position. 
would you be interested in taking a faculty development grant uh, and actually doing this as an, in a faculty role as a one year, I guess if you want to call it a trial uh, run to see if it's something that you might be interested in. And so really the very first year was, I think about 2012 and the year was a faculty development position. And then from that, that role then turned into the director of diversity and intercultural initiatives after a year in the role of the work that we needed to, uh, wanted to see done. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into the position there. Um, and uh, from that and the work that we've done, I've been grateful um, God has given me uh, the ability to, to have um, this leadership opportunity to help us guide our university with our work in diversity and inclusion. Now we recognize that our work in our offices, and I noticed I use the word guide because I, our office is not ultimately responsible for all the work that we're doing on campus. We are so grateful for partners that we have all across the university that are recognizing the importance and the value that this is something that we are all a part of. It's not just our office. We just uh, may be the ones that uh, assist or help or provide or provide the leadership for it. But again, it's all of our work to be able to do that. And so I'm just grateful to be able to lead that charge for us on our campus. Uh, conversations around racism are nothing new, but they have seemed to escalate in the last couple of months following the, the deaths of uh, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and have caused a lot of institutions to really take an inward look at how they're functioning in, in relation to this conversation. Uh, so what role has your office played in these conversations as it relates to Sanford? And why are these conversations so important for places like Sanford University? Yes, thank you for asking that. Early on and during this time of, of unrest, our office held kind of a listening session for, for our students um, and just kind of just wanted to, you know, open it up to say, hey, we're here to listen. You know, what can we do? How can we share? And so there was a conversation that we held with our, in conjunction with our Black Student Union and our National Panhellenic Council, which is the um, governing body for the African-American Greek organizations here on our campus. And also collaboration with our uh, SBAA, which, our San which is our Sanford Black Alumni Association. And so we brought the groups together just to kind of have a conversation about, you know, what's going on in our, in our country. We had the leaders from each of the, the groups that I just mentioned, the Black Student Union, the MPHC, and the SPA SBAA to kind of speak and um, just kind of talk about, uh, you know, what's going on and, and really kind of, I guess, if you want to call it a group therapy session, um, because we recognize the value and the importance of um, just kind of hearing your thoughts and sharing those. And so uh, we did have that, that group therapy session that we coordinated. And then we also recognized the importance of, of mental health. And so we worked with an African-American counselor, female counselor that's here in the area that's kind of been doing some work, some contract work for us um, on campus and, and provided um, counseling sessions to the students. Um, we recognize that healing occurs when we talk about it and when we um, share. Uh, we recognize that a lot of our, our Black students were also in the process of educating also as well of some of their, their, um, their friends that are non-people of color friends that they were educating. So there was some exhaustion there also as well that we wanted to share and help them understand with. So we, we did do that work and we're grateful for the Office of um, Advancement, Alumni Affairs and the Sanford Black Alumni Association for helping us financially support that to uh, have the counselor that's with us uh, to be able to provide those services for our students. And, um, you know, we recognize that we, we do have a counseling center on our campus 
But our students just kind of made a connection with the lady that we've, we've contracted with as a Black female to kind of share their stories with. So we felt it was important that we kind of stick with that. And so I'm just grateful for us to be able to provide that to our students um, and um, for them to have healing with that. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the task force on racial justice that President Westmoreland convened uh, just this spring and summer? Who's involved in it? What's the purpose of the task force and what are we hoping to accomplish? Yes, thank you so much for that. Uh, I, I'm actually going to just share with you our charge that we have. Um, this it says the primary goal of the task force on racial justice is to assist the university in fostering positive, enduring changes in campus culture and existing systems so that racial justice may become a known attribute of the institution. Racial injustice at Sanford, past and present, will be examined and addressed. And so I say that uh, we, we are looking at though, uh, any area, we have the, the flexibility to look at all areas of campus to be able to, to go back. We think it's very important also that we look at our past to, to see how we got here. Um, and, to, and, to, and then also to make recommendations on how we move forward um, and how can we make sure that we are fostering uh, those positive changes in our campus and in our culture. Uh, the task force is included of several members across campus that are made up of our current students, our staff, uh, faculty, alumni, parents, as well as some of our board of trustee members on it also as well. Uh, we have deans that serve in the role, uh, and we're grateful for you for your for, for you to be a part of us also as well with the group. And, and although the group is very very large, we are recognizing that uh, we have ways that we can work through our our task force and get so much accomplished by working in subcommittees. And so we're grateful to have uh, great leaders that lead that. So uh, Mr. Holmes and I are the co-chairs of the task force, but there are so many people that are involved on the task force that are leading up those uh, subcommittees. And so I call them the champions. They're the ones that are really uh, making sure that we are staying on task and getting the work done. Our goal is to try to have something to present uh, at the end of the semester, at the end of de December. And if we need more time on that, we're willing to ask for that. But our goal is to try to get some, some tangible steps of how we move forward to be able to share with um, President Westmoreland and with the Board of Trustees so that we can uh, make sure that we are honoring those changes that we want to make. Dr. Gregory, um, you are working a lot with students and we would like to know, uh, especially for our white listeners, if you could share with us about some of the unique challenges that African Americans and other people of color uh, face attending predominantly white universities like Stanford. Um, so what are those challenges? Yeah, I think for some, I mean, I, I think a, a lot of them are, are very, very similar to, to um, what all students may face, but I think they become heightened in, in, a, in a position when you are a person of color attending a white, you know, predominantly white university. What do I mean by that? I think a sense of community um, is, is maybe sometimes a difficult to find for a, a person of color in a predominantly white institution. It's not that they, they don't, aren't able to or willing to be a part of the groups, but making sure of having a sense of concern of will I be accepted to be able to be a part of the group. I think there is some hesitation or, or a sense of uh, afraid or being involved when they first arrive to get to campus. And so how do they do that? And I think that that's also a concern of parents, you know, when we, especially for our undergraduates, when we have um, 
our office actually does a uh, promotion to a, what we call a diversity preview day, where we actually have a preview day just for students of color who want to attend, or anyone who's not a, a, a white can also attend, but want to learn more about some of the resources that we have for um, students of color to be a part um, of our Sanford's community. And so when we have those sessions, that's parents ask those things of, you know, hey, will my daughter be able to fit in here? Will my son find a place that um, people will uh, accept him for who he is? So I think, you know, well, you know that those are some of the things that uh, parents see a little bit more heightened because there may not be or what they physically can see a place where um, someone looks like them in those roles, you know? Um, so there's concern there. With that, for the ways to help that, our office actually hosts what we call our impact program. It stands for inspiring minorities to pursue academics and community together. And that's a peer mentoring program that we offer for freshmen that come in, are coming in for the fall. Um, and what it is that we uh, pair them with the incoming freshmen with an upperclassman. We are so excited to share that we have 37 students that have already applied for that for this upcoming year to coming in. And so, uh, 37 may not seem a lot, seem like a lot, but that is for us for an upcoming class of students who've actually reached out prior to even arriving at Sanford. And so we feel it's important that we provide that, that space for our students to kind of help create a sense of community when they walk in the door, right? Um, it's kind of like when, you know, kids that play athletics or are part of the band, you know, as a freshman, when you go into that place, you're walking in, if you went to band camp in the summer, you're like, I already have friends, you know, you know, it's, it's like you've already created that sense and not being afraid because you've been able to walk the halls already to find out where your classes are. And so with our impact program, we do something like we do something like that. We create that sense of community kind of for them when they come in to help them find that space there for the students to feel a part. Are we expecting them to stay in that group? Absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. But we just want to make sure that those first few weeks when we know it can be troubling or hard and having those moments when you're wanting to go back home to parents and so that you find someone who's really, really there to say, you know, hey, you can do this. Uh, we want you to be a part of, and we value you, to be here, you being here at Sanford. One of the things that the members of the Beeson family will see when they return to campus for the fall is a new memorial in the form of an obelisk that the president and the board of trustees dedicated just recently that's in our uh, Divinity Hall quadrangle there. Uh, Dr. Gregory, can you speak a little bit about uh, its significance. It's supposed to get us thinking about the history and significance of race, racial reconciliation, racial justice at Samford University. Uh, what should our students know about it? And what what would you say is important uh, in the life of a university like ours about reflecting on the way we've handled some of these things in the past? Yes, thank you for that. So yes, the obelisk is um, in the courtyard that you mentioned there, we I have not been able to actually see it either. I'm not, I haven't gone on campus to see it just yet. Initially, the uh, the the plan was initially for us to unveil it on April the 6th at a luncheon that we host, uh, for the uh, SBA hosts. Um, and, and the obelisk is to honor the many contributions of African Americans who have helped build and sustain the institution um, here at Sanford and, and the mission and supporting it. Um, we uh, part of the the inscription on it speaks on <clears throat> uh, Sanford's uh, mission, also a, a hero that we've had uh, in Harry. That's in part of our history here at Sanford and his contribution, as well as Audrey Lattimore Gaston, who was one of our uh, who was our first um, 
person of uh, African-American integrate uh, Sanford University as a law student. And so the memorial was uh, scheduled to be unveiled at that ceremony on April the 6th, and then it was scheduled to be dedicated on May 5th, the Board of Trustees during their spring meeting. Of course, COVID-19 hit, and so we were not able to do that. Um, so there was a virtual exercise that we were able to share with that with others. But I think that that our, our, our bliss is going to give us a time to really, really pause and reflect and to think about the contributions that African-Americans have made on our campus. I know sometimes when we think about our history, that that may not be the first beginning thing that we think about of, of how uh, you know our, our university was was built and, and, and the different things that um, people were able to provide and people of color and African-Americans to provide with us to us on our university. And also the great work that's being done now also as well for our present it allows us to think about uh, when we see it, uh, the, the presence of what's going on and how we might be able to uh, make sure that we are making sure that we are aware of any racial injustices also as well. So when we pass that, you know, that should be something that's a symbol to remind us to make sure that we are um, making sure that we are being, having racial justice in our society. Dr. Gregory, uh, for those uh, who are listening who might be an ethnic minority staff member, faculty member, and they're just kind of exhausted by uh, the current state of race in our communities, uh, what word of encouragement might you give to them? And then on the flip side, what word of advice might you give to um, those who are uh, white, who work or go to Sanford, who want to be an ally? Um, and a support in, in racial justice. Yes, yes, thank you for that. For, for our um, <clears throat> people of color, our black students and, um, and faculty employees, that we know that you, you, are, you are here. We, we know that we value each other. We know that you're here. If there are stories that you share, we know that they are real. You know, we know that sometimes people feel that our stories that we hear from, from um, people of color, especially black, black um, students and what they show, that's not real. That's something that's not happening. They're, they're continuing to keep talking about this. No, no, they are real. And there are things that we, um, you know, that after some point they get to be exhausting, they get to be tiring, um, and they get to be uh, things that you just would just wish would, you know, just want to be treated as just like everyone, well, like our, everyone else is and not be microaggressions and different things like that. And I just say all this to say that, yes, those stories are real when you hear them. Uh, and, and we need to make sure that we do not um, underestimate a person's story and, and to try to uh, place it off as being something that's not important. Um, but what I will say also as well is to, to our white allies is to make sure that we um, are sure that we speak up, that we uh, when we see things that are injustices that are wrong, that we say, no, this is not the way this should be done. Um, you know, this is something that we've done wrong to someone. We need to correct that. You know, being a bystander is just as, uh, can be just as bad or received in a negative way as the person that's doing it also as well if we watch. And so we want to make sure for our allies that we're speaking up and to say when we see injustices that are being wrong. Um, I also want to challenge our, our faculty members to, to think about how ways that they can actually create opportunities in the curriculum. Uh, to think about how they might be able to share works of, uh, of other authors uh, that are people of color and how they might be able to share their literature and, and also the speakers that you want to invite to your classrooms and how you can see um, uh, people in roles that we wouldn't necessarily uh, 
choose initially to be as a speaker in our classroom. Maybe they stick outside how we might be able to bring someone else in and show that there are great people outside of, 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 of whites that we see in these roles, but there are also people of color that also are able to share their opportunities and their uh, points of view on different topics that we're covering in our classroom. I also suggest maybe that, you know, you think about, and that's in, in, on both sides, our network of friends and people that we're around, um, is that we try to create opportunities where we find people that are like a, different than us, um, so that we want to come together. And um, so that when there are times when we're not sure of how we should move in a space or how we, what we should say, then that we, there are, we've created a friend relationships with people, then we can go to them and say, hey, can you help me with this? I'm not quite sure I understand why this is happening or why this is going on. And I can guarantee you and I can promise you that if they're your friend, they're going to give you grace when you make that mistake or if there is a mistake. And that's on both sides. You know, if there's a mistake that's being made. And so I, I really, really, uh, really, really want to stress the importance of having relationships with others that are different than you and how important they become in recognizing the value that each of us brings to the kingdom. Uh, that God has given each one of us a gift to provide to others. And so we need to value those. And then how do we use those the gifts that each person brings to make sure that we are uplifting the Lord? That is great advice. Dr. Gregory, we're just about out of time, but we would love to end this podcast on a note of encouragement for our listeners. You know, this summer has been discouraging to lots of us uh, mm -hmm. because of the COVID epidemic, because of the racial trouble we've been experiencing in our society. Uh, and I'm sure somebody with a leadership position like yours has experienced a fair amount of discouragement as well. Mm -hmm. But is there anything that's been especially encouraging to you in your work, particularly here at Sanford, uh, that you might be able to uh, end this podcast on? You know, I'm just grateful for the, uh, for the leadership opportunity. You know, I, I, people, you know, I've said, you know, there have been so many things that like you've mentioned that have kind of been put in our, our way. But I'm just grateful for the God that has allowed me to be able to to walk through this moment, one, to, to know that he's going to bring me through, to see that he's bringing me through, right? I'm able to bask in his glory to say, God, you brought me through yesterday also as well, even though it was a tough time. I was able to make it through that day, and I'm, I'm here again standing the next day. You're also being able to, to give me the opportunity to, to be, develop leadership opportunities, to grow, to learn. Um, I've actually been in so many calls where I've been able to learn new things about how things work. Um, and, and we take those for granted and think they're small. Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to provide new spaces that we're creating with our curriculum to provide uh, new areas that we're looking at to, to bring about uh, change at, at the university. So these are all positive things that I think for me to, to come out of this, uh, I guess if you want to call it a situation um, between COVID and our racial injustices that are coming out, that I'm able to say, you know, Although that there may have been some tough times to get here and some things that have happened that we did not want to see to get here, I'm grateful to be able to share in those positive things that uh, we're seeing that are coming out of it. So I'm just looking forward to, to Sanford continuing to grow and develop to be able to uh, provide opportunities for our students and, and really, really just to encourage them to know that, you know, he has a place for each one of us and, that, and it's a designed each of us to, to do uh, what he has for us and to be able to take that and, and, and just really, really grow and develop. I am also grateful for the opportunity to seek his wisdom. Um, you know, I am each morning I wake up and I even have this discussion with my daughter about knowledge and wisdom. 
you know, to thank him for the knowledge he's given me, but I'm also seeking every day for the wisdom that he will provide to us to continue to uh, grow, to make Sanford into the place that uh, is pleasing to his kingdom. Amen. You have been listening to Dr. Denise Gregory, who is the Assistant Provost for Diversity and Intercultural Initiatives here at Sanford University. She is also a chemistry professor here. She is a very busy lady. We are glad that she made time for us on our podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Gregory, for being with us. And thank you to our dear listeners for tuning in. We can't wait to be back together with you students uh, next month. And alumni and friends, please pray for us. Please pray for Beeson Divinity School and Sanford University as we uh, do life together again this fall. Thanks very much for being with us. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.